Hey, it's Andrew, and today on the show we have Derek Skaletsky, founder and CEO of Sherlock. In this episode, we talked about how Derek came up with the idea to build Sherlock and why now, how Sherlock determines an engagement score, and how customer success, sales, and marketing teams can use it. We also discussed how Derek's head of customer success self was arguing with his head of product self back at Kissmetrics while leading these two teams. And we dove into Kissmetrics' number one reason for churn and how Derek and his team halved their churn rate in just 12 months with a scorecard. As usual, I'm excited to hear what you think of this episode. And if you have any feedback, I would love to hear from you. You can email me directly on andrew at churn.fm. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and enjoy the episode. Today's episode is sponsored by Avrio, a collaborative insights platform built directly into your workflow. With a browser extension and web app, Avrio provides a new way to capture and share data analysis, user research, and learnings directly in context with your team. From data dashboards, Google Slides, and Slack threads, to inside of apps and team members' heads, Avrio captures all of your insights and creates a single source of truth. Visit avrio.com to learn how you can maximize your team's collective knowledge with Avrio. This is Churn.fm, the podcast for subscription economy pros. Each week, we hear how the world's fastest growing companies are tackling churn and using retention to fuel their growth. How do you build a habit-forming product? We crossed over that magic threshold to negative churn. You need to invest in customer success. It always comes down to, to retention and engagement. Completely bootstrap, profitable, and growing. Strategies, tactics, and ideas brought together to help your business thrive in the subscription economy. I'm your host, Andrew Michael, and here's today's episode. Hey, Derek, welcome to the show. Thanks, Andrew. It's great to have you. For the listeners, Derek is the CEO and founder of Sherlock, a product engagement scoring engine that helps give your sales, customer success, and marketing teams the clarity they need to qualify leads, get ahead of churn risks, and never miss an opportunity. Prior to Sherlock, Derek was the CEO of Kissmetrics after arriving post-acquisition to head up the product and customer success operations. He's a serial entrepreneur too, having founded Tracker and Notify.io. So my first question for you, Derek, is why Sherlock and why now after your experience in the analytics and engagement space? Yeah, it's a great question. So I've been in SaaS for a little while, and one of my biggest pains ever in SaaS throughout the years has been knowing that product engagement is the lifeblood of everything in a SaaS business. If they aren't yeah. using the product, they're not going to pay for the product. That's, that is the basis of the, the fundamental core of the SaaS model. This product engagement data was what I call the lifeblood of that SaaS operation, but it was always stuck in some analytics tool that the product team barely used. And it was only thought of to be used to help the product team make decisions. And I always said that data is essential for the go-to-market team to drive their entire operations. It should be the basis of everything they do. Yeah. But it was never easy to get them that data. So Segment came along and made it easier to distribute that data. But Segment didn't translate that data in any way to make it actually useful and helpful for these teams. These teams are not data analysts, right? They're, yeah. they're go-to-market teams. So I've hacked a version of Sherlock probably four times in different companies to try and help us, which is how do we take that product engagement data and translate it into some scoring mechanism, which gives this, these teams the signals that they need 
from the sales. Now it's even more important with a product-led business, sales teams need this data as much as anybody. Yeah. Uh, if you've got trial accounts that are using the product before they buy it, you need to know how they're engaging with the product in order to engage them effectively to get them to convert. Yeah. CS needs to know how their customers are using the product, if they're using the product, how often they're using it. They need to know all this stuff to determine how to support that uh, customer base. And marketing needs it just as much as anybody. So how do we take that data and translate it into some simple metrics that everybody can understand and take action on? And that was uh, what I've hacked before yep. in the past. Your we finally decided to just productize it, yeah. Very cool. And so in many ways, I call Sherlock like a translation engine. You get that data in, you translate it into some simple metrics and signals, and then you can get that data pushed to your CRM and other tools. Very cool. Yeah, what I loved about the solution as well, and when I mentioned to you earlier, I saw it with the segment a couple of years back, was almost the seamless just plug and play, and then you immediately get this value out at the end of it. Uh, and sometimes like figuring out what an engagement score should look like and uh, how you're going to go about segmenting your user base. And this stuff can often go into debate and maybe take time. And then uh, I think the beauty of having something just plug and play like that is really gets like everybody off the ground running, starts making impact and things that you can improve then over time as you go along. But talking about the engagement score and talk us through a little bit about the process, like how you go about determining an engagement score for a user base and essentially like maybe some of the top use cases that you see your customers using them for? Yeah, to your point, we wanted to make it, we wanted to really simplify the process of creating an engagement score. As the data, the product data comes into Sherlock, the users, our users, what we call configure a scoring profile. So they say, here are the events that are important to engagement with my product. And then they can weigh those events between zero and 10, how important they are. And then all we do then is take that list of events and the weights, and then we go and calculate scores behind the scenes for every user of their product. And we aggregate up all that stuff at the account level, which is also one of my biggest frustrations with product data historically yeah. is it's all at the user level. But if you're a SaaS business, you operate at the account level. So if you don't have the data at the account level, it's almost worthless. Sure. So anyway, so, so we aggregate just from that simple configuration, which events are important? How important are they? That's very simple configuration. We can then go and calculate scores for all users and accounts and also calculate trends, which are just as important as the actual score. So someone who's got a score of 50 is one thing, but if they've got a 50 and that's down 30% from last month, that's a problem. So the trend in the engagement was also one of the important things we wanted to build because that is a really important signal across the board for how this account is doing. Yeah. And I can see, obviously, that's a very clear signal as well that you need to maybe pay a little bit more attention to the account. So I see like customer success as being a really valuable metric for them to keep a tabs on, keep an eye on with their important customers. What are some of the other use cases like marketing? How do you see marketing using the uh, engagement score? So I think sales as well was pretty straightforward. I laid it out in terms of knowing which leads to speak to based on what activity they've done in the app. But how does marketing use the product then? Yeah, so marketing is using that product. So we push that data again to these other tools. We push it back to segment, we push it to HubSpot, we push it to Salesforce. So marketing is actually using that engagement data to segment messaging, right? So even at the top of the funnel, right? So there's customers that do automations for when an account becomes, when a trial account becomes activated and has an engagement score above X, they're going to get a personal message from a rep, right? 
Otherwise, they're going to get an onboarding message that's a little bit more generic about helping push them down the line. But then you can offer an actual conversation once the account gets to a certain level of activation and engagement. So that's one way marketing uses it. Marketing is also using it in analysis. So they're looking at which trial leads are getting to activation, what we call kind of product qualified status, which of our PQLs are coming from which channels, which messages, so they can start to really understand at a more granular level, what's level, what's working, not to just get them to sign up, but to actually get them to use the product and get to a qualified level. That's very cool. And then, yeah, so putting a little bit more accountability on marketing, not just bringing uh, heads through the door, but making sure the quality of those heads that are coming and are actually using the product and are the right fit. That's very cool. Exactly. Yeah. And then like we're going through the intro as well, when I introduced you earlier, I mentioned that you were part of a company that you founded was acquired by Kissmetrics. And then you joined that company to head up product and customer success. So I think this is definitely a very unique role having the hat wearing, leading these two teams. Uh, and definitely, I think when it comes to talking about the topic of the show, churn and retention, like typically these are two of the, the biggest teams within the company that have influence over the metrics. So I'm interested from your perspective, first off at this role, and then we'll touch on your other experience later, but how you viewed uh, churn and retention uh, whilst you were leading these two teams and uh, how they played into one another with the different uh, roles that they play within the organization. Yeah, it's a really good point. It was a unique role. It was just serendipitous. It wasn't necessarily, it just were a couple gaps that they had that I could fill. So I filled it at the time, but it really was a very unique experience. I tell people like I spent my days fighting with myself, right? My customer success, head of customer success self was arguing with my head of product self <laughs> on a daily basis. But it did give me a really interesting perspective on this metric turn. And when I came in, like most companies and like myself at the time, churn was a metric owned by customer success. And they actually had comp yeah. plans based for the CS team based on churn rates. And then what I quickly realized is, which I say now all the time, is blaming customer success for churn is like blaming a waiter for a bad meal, right? They definitely have an impact on the experience of that meal. However, they didn't create the menu. They didn't pick out the location. They didn't cook the food. They didn't decorate the... Right? There's so much that goes into why a customer is unhappy and leaves you yeah. beyond the customer success the experience they have. The customer success can help, can hurt sometimes, but their impact is much less than what we tend to think it is. So one of the first things I did was to take that metric out of the customer success department and elevate it to a company metric. Because in my opinion, everybody owns and everybody has a hand in whether or not those customers are going to be successful with the product and be retained and stick around. So that was, but it was an early learning and that side. probably due to that, to that dual role. Yeah, I think that definitely this is something that comes up on the show a, a bit. And I think ultimately, if you have a subscription business, like you don't have a business if you have a churn problem because you, the people aren't subscribing, they're just leaving. So it really is a company metric. It is like probably, uh, at least in my opinion, the most important metric uh, you can have with a subscription business. Leaving it up to a single team, like you say, that has the minimal influence really at the end of the day compared to all the other steps that happened before it got to that point 
is really an unfair uh, metric to place on the team, a lot of pressure, and it ends up probably leaving them demotivated, like realizing like they can't oh, yeah. make changes, like fighting with product to try and get uh, things in there that they see are helping, but ultimately having little like less of a voice there. So I think definitely a yeah, great but I, Yeah. Yeah, one thing I will also add to that is what, what we also realized is, and we started to do this analysis, the number one reason for churn, the number one reason we found was bad fit from the start, right? Bad fit customers coming in the door, being being marketed to, being sold to, closing. And we started to understand what, first we did a big analysis to understand what good fit is, what bad fit is. And then we had our own scorecard that every time a customer closed and became a paying customer, the customer success team would actually score that customer for fit, what we called fit. Some of it was subjective, some of it was, was objective stuff but it was a score that we used and every new every month we would report on the fit rating for all the new customers and over time that was by far the most correlated uh, metric or data point with churn especially with churn within the first nine 12 months and that has nothing to do with customer success right that has to do with marketing messaging product market fit messaging sales what sales is selling yeah. Um, and what they're what they're communicating during sale, et cetera. So we really showed out and proved that the customer success team, the churn that was happening was mostly due way before customer success even got involved. Yeah, I think, and this is definitely like a big resounding message that we hear a lot as well. Uh, churn and retention, like it starts with the first message that a user sees. It's that first perception that they get of your product. And then as you go down, it's each fit they need to meet. Like, does your messaging match the product to the value that it delivers? Like, all along these steps, there's so many different places where users can fall off. And bringing in the wrong type of customers is definitely one of the biggest uh, issues we see as well. But I'm really interested in like, how did you get to this point then when you realize, okay, this is a problem, like bad fit customers. And then what did the process look like about going about getting the score together? What did it look like internally with the teams? Like how did you get the company to rally around this and to really realize that this was an issue? That's actually a really good question and probably a whole nother podcast, but about internal politics and all that. But, you know, we did it quietly at first. You know, I, I did it myself for a little while. Just I just wanted to get wrap my head around why are customers churning, right? When you first get there, you want to you understand, here's the last three months of customers that churned. What is, are there any commonalities, right? Are there any correlations we can draw? And some of that, like I said, was objective. You could look at company size and you know, roles of the users that signed up and you do some of that objectively. But what I found is the biggest factor is use case. Why did they, what pain were they trying to solve with the product? What was their use case? And that is hard to, hard to suss out objectively sometimes. Yeah. Um, there are ways you can do it. You can see what features they're using to suss some of that out. But most easily, customer success conversations are incredibly insightful. And most of the time, you could sit down with your CS team and go through the list and say, why were they using the product? They'll say, oh, they were doing this. They were trying to do that. So then we went through that process and tried to suss that out. What were the use cases? So what we found was that was the biggest factor is what is the use case? Then there was team size was an issue or a correlator, but also roles. So roles of who signed up and there were some other things. So it was probably 10 factors we weighed to go into this kind of customer fit. And then we translate that into three scores, good fit, okay fit, bad fit. We just, 
my whole life is exploring, I guess. But <laughs> so we got the good fit, bad fit, or good fit, okay fit, bad fit. And then we would ju- then once I could prove I didn't bring it, elevate it until I really had a good some confidence that it was correlating with actual church. So then I brought it to the executive team and showed them. I mapped out six months of churn versus these scores, and I could show them how correlated they were with churn. So that started to, the conversation about, okay, there's messaging issues, there's issues in the sales pitch, uh, in the sales conversations. You could, we had some slight correlation with specific salespeople, but not huge, but at least they were open to now the conversation. If you're selling this use case, this is a bad fit. And then it became an open conversation on the executive level that says, are we okay selling to bad fit customers? This is a big philosophical debate, right? Are we going to say we are going to take their money for six months, eight months, whatever, knowing that this isn't a good fit, but we're going to do it. And we're just going to factor that into our projections and our financials because it's money for six, eight months. Fuel in the fire. I have an opinion about that. I don't think it's the right strategy, but there are other people that are fine with it. Um, For sure. So, Yeah, I think there's a few different things I want to touch on because you mentioned now a lot of different things. But the one thing I love as well is like the simplicity uh, of the process. And I think a lot of times when people think about putting up an engagement score or a way to measure customers or putting together some sort of model, we often think that they're overly complex and complicated, but often the best ones are the simplest ones and the ones that people use. And I love the sort of like how uh, simple you made the metric itself and the like the, the variables that you're looking at that went into it as well. But the biggest thing for me was that the power of the use case. Uh, I think that's definitely is like, it's obviously the number one reason when you think about it, people come to, for, to solve a problem. And if your product is suited to solve that problem and you do it for them, they're going to stick around. But so often they're not like we like, don't pay enough attention to what is the use case? What is the job to be done that they're coming to us with? You, yeah, right? I, think it's, I think it's so important. I think it's so important. I, and I think you should segment incoming leads and incoming customers by that. I think you should segment outgoing customers by that. Everyone should really get a handle of what is the use case here. And like I said, it's hard to sometimes objectively do it, but I have seen, I have talked to a type form. I remember I talked to someone over there that they were using the title of the surveys that were created to suss out use case. Nice. And yeah. then starting to understand, okay, this is a use case that is a, because they had a problem with one-off surveys versus yeah. reoccurring usage customers. So starting to understand early on, this is probably a one-off use case, this is a retention use case and how do we shift resources and messaging accordingly. Yeah, uh, I like that. It definitely there's places and ways you can do it. I think similarly as well to uh, Typeform, like at Hotjar where I am now, we also have the situation where uh, a lot of companies use us like for one-off projects, like they're doing a, a website revamp and they want to try and understand it. But then obviously we have a lot of other companies that use us on an ongoing basis that are continuously making improvements. and. One of the things I think we've done and we've left very late, but uh, starting now is really this, is really trying to understand the use cases better and then really trying to understand sort of engagement metrics, like retention metrics, performance metrics against the different use cases. Because I think ultimately as well, when you think about tracking uh, performance of your product and how healthy your user base is, if you don't understand what their main use cases they're coming to begin with, you can't really have a good measure on 
are they performing? Are they using your product to its best potential as well? So I love that. And then you put together this data, you had around like six months then worth of stats to show and share with the team. From there, like you mentioned, like a lot of different things started happening in terms of the mes- messaging, positioning. How did you slowly then start to see the impact of this? Because I think also like one of these things is that churn itself is obviously a lagging metric and it's a lot of these inputs that you mentioned. So how did you see this start to take shape and make an impact uh, on churn and retention of the company over time? Yeah, so it, it also fed product, definitely fed product decisions as well when we started to hone in on use case. It caused issues, right? Because I, I will also say this is a, this is a bit of a hot take, but I actually think yeah. that one of the also one of the biggest factors in churn is a sales comp plans. Yes. So I'm going to say because we comp salespeople, where most of their comp is based on commission, and we pay them, they can't even pay their rent on their bases. So they are panicked and desperate to close deals. So anything, any messaging that says to a sales team based on that, with that comp model, don't close this deal is going to cause all kinds of problems internally. So it's, yeah, it's exactly, you have a business model, which is counter to their comp model, which I see a lot. So that was, that was definitely part of the problem because we, we had this debate. Can we do we Should we be closing these deals? Yeah. And you have sales saying, I can't eat unless I close these. <laughs> so anyway, that was probably the hardest part of the whole thing. No doubt. It also affects shorter term. If you're trying to shift, it can affect the top of funnel numbers. It can affect those growth numbers because you're really, you can't do it overnight. You got to, it's a gradual kind of shift to that. Yeah. So there's debate over, do we sacrifice growth numbers in the short term to try and make this happen? And if you look at growth as only new revenue, new deals, that it becomes a problem. If you look at growth as net, then it's an easier conversation. So that was yeah. the next phase. It shifts the focus from growth being new to growth being net. So net new net revenue for the month, which obviously takes into account churn as a negative there. So once that conversation starts to shift to let's look at net, not new, now you can see the impact of churn and how if you're making some improvements there, that even with the same or even lower net new, new new, you can actually have higher net new. So that was the next kind of phase is shift the metric, kind of the, the North Star metric from new to net new. Yeah. So that helped a lot. But over time, so, over time, there were improvements made. We definitely cut, we cut churn in half that's huge. in 12 months, which was yeah. a huge deal. And I really credit this whole process as part of that. There was some product stuff that definitely helped too, but that product stuff was also informed by this process. Yeah. Definitely. I think that's as well something to take away. Like one, obviously with the misalignment with the sales side, I think definitely that's something we've chatted about on the show before. I think Stanley FD in one of his episodes mentioned like aligning comp plans with performance in terms of not just sales, but retention as well. So depending on how long the customer stays with, I think it's then after getting comped up to month 12 or month six, whatever it was, but really making sure that you have comp plans aligned with having these right fit customers come through the door. But I definitely yeah. see that uh, being a hard debate though within an organization where it's okay. Do we want to take a hit in the short term to have long-term gains or do we want to keep like focused on the short term and just fueling? But ultimately I think one of the things it does do is like, if you decide to like stick at it and keep going with uh, these poor fit customers is 
you end up losing and wasting a lot of time and attention on the wrong fit customers. So you lose out right. on the momentum that you can be building, actually building a product for who's ideally meant for your product and thing. But I definitely see Right, it and I will say on the product side, that whole segmentation by use case is also an important piece. As you start to get, look at the feedback, customer feedback, Yeah. if you segment that feedback by use case and you're saying these are the use cases that that get the most value and are higher priority to us, that helps you filter that feedback. So if you're just chasing every piece of customer feedback equally, you end up building this kind of nothing product for nobody. So feedback I think that's a really important part of the Exactly. And filtering through the lens of use case, I think, is a really important uh, way to do it. We also filter by engagement level, right? Who, we got this feedback, what, what type of user is this? Is this a user that is very lowly engaged and not doing much? Or is this a, a highly engaged power, kind, power user kind of player? Nice. Yes. And definitely, like you say, like feedback is not all equal. And having these sorts of metrics and bars to measure it by is like super helpful to give focus. But let's shift as well a little bit now away from the past and to the present. I'm interested now, like coming into uh, Sherlock and previously maybe a little bit of a later stage company, you were dealing with churn and retention there. Like, How has your view on the problem now shifted focus at an earlier stage startup like Sherlock versus where you were at previous Equismetrics? When you have a smaller customer base, every single individual churn hurts more. As a founder, there's nothing more painful than losing a customer. It, it, it'll set you if, you, get, if you lose a customer on a Friday, your weekend is shot as a founder. So it just elevates, you know, each individual churn, which is part of the game, but it still yeah. is more painful at an earlier stage. And as the founder of a product, it also is personal, right? It's a personal yeah. rejection you've poured your heart and soul in this idea and this concept and someone has rejected it. So it's amplified at an earlier stage stage. from the founder's perspective. And the way you're approaching, like solving for it, is it any different now? Have you bought any learnings or is maybe the stage of the company, like you say, a smaller user base, uh, potentially like seeking you to look at different ways of tackling the problem? I've definitely been more rigorous about the fit. If you aren't really a good fit for what we've built right now and where we're going, we definitely don't give you as much attention. We don't try and close you, right? We're not going to try and convince you to commit. Yeah. And oftentimes we'll give you other recommendations for other products that are a better fit right now. Because it sounds silly, but it actually drains you more to handle a bunch of bad fit customers and try and do a dance, do some kind of performative dance to convince them that you're what they need when you're you know, you're not so that takes more energy and, and emotion than just not the having them yeah i like that as well and especially in the early days you really need to have that focus you really need to like have all your energy pouring into the single biggest factor that can have an impact on the business and getting rid of any distractions and in this case bad fit customers who don't have a use case is obviously another great way to keep that focus yeah and early on if you don't have product market fit you also you don't always know that early on so you're playing with that yeah but once as early on as you can ruling out this isn't working this use case isn't working we may have thought it worked but it's clearly not working let's just cut that off and we actually have in the kind of onboarding and process questions around use case and if it's not a good use case we just let you know just, all right and yeah, nice and that's built in just to the onboarding flow question that you ask while they're signing up yeah cool yeah 
So one question I ask every guest that joins the show. Um, let's imagine a hypothetical scenario now that you join a new company, trainer retention is not doing great. And the CEO comes to you and says, we need to make a dent in this. We need to change this fast. We have 90 days to try and make an impact. What would you want to be doing with those 90 days to try and make an impact? Yeah, my first response would be, turn is a glacial metric. It, it doesn't move overnight. It's something that moves slowly over time. Yeah. So I try and set expectations about you know, what can happen in 90 days. And if you're really trying to do it that quickly, you're probably going to come up with solutions that are not great. Stop sending people their invoices so they're, they don't remember that they you know, subscribe to your service. A black hat That'd be, that's a yeah. quick one, right? Yeah, just don't you know, pull, pull an AOL what I call an AOL trick. My dad, I think, still subscribes to AOL. Wow. Uh, has no idea. Still charging his credit card. Um, so, so that's what I would say. You could do some tricky things short-term to try and do it. But if you're really trying to think about it as a long-term improvement to make, the first thing I would do is what we talked about is I'd really dig into the last three, four, or five months of, of churn and understand use case is the one thing I'd really be trying to understand. Other factors as well, like we said, those objective factors may be, may be correlated as well. So really trying to understand would be my first step. Then I would build a fit model that said, okay, we know what works and what doesn't. So let's yeah. assess what's coming in and give you some realistic expectations for what churn's going to look like in the next six months based on what just came in. Yeah. And then I would start to make some, then there could be some short-term wins in terms of messaging and stuff you can do in onboarding and what do you show uh, when and maybe you shift some features into a different tier that aren't early on. A lot of times if you throw too many features early on, it creates confusion and affects adoption and, and activation. So there could be some of that going on. But really what I dig into is what is the use case? What what are the churn customers look like? And what are we bringing in? Is there Are we bringing in more of those? And then start That's that nice. discussion. Very yeah. cool. Yeah, I, I like as well what you said now in the sense of using the uh, use case and understanding like the customer fits at sign up as an indicator of what churn is going to look like in three, six, uh, or three or six months. Because obviously there's a lot of churn prediction models, but I think one of the things I think I don't know if I've ever gravitated towards thinking about is like how the use case impacts that. And like you said, probably one of the, the it's probably is the biggest uh, influencing factor. So Using the yeah, use case those... as an indicator as like a future predictor is really powerful. Yep. Also, one of the first things I would do is I'd make sure that the product data is there and I'd plug it into Sherlock so I can get a sense <laughs> yeah. for engagement levels of other companies because that's really important. So to your point, I don't think the churn forecasting models are all that helpful yeah. because use case and fit is, to me, the biggest factor. However, having, to me, engagement data creates the signals for churn, right? Any reason that someone's going to churn, almost all reasons that someone's going to churn will be expressed in engagement data or lack of engagement, right? So an early customer that doesn't get activated, doesn't become activated with the product, that's a highly likely signal for churn, right? A a customer whose engagement has dropped 30% problem. A customer obviously is inactive for the last 30 days, real problem. Engagement trending down, problem. Bigger customer with very few active users as a percentage of their overall user base, problem. So all the, no matter why someone turns, it it will generally be expressed in engagement and a drop in in engagement. 
So those are the signals that you need to understand. Okay, here are the the accounts that are in trouble, but it doesn't necessarily tell you why. Someone leaving the company and going to your your key user leaves, goes to another company. You don't know, you won't know that through the engagement data, but you will know that she stopped using the product. Okay, let's dig in. What happened here? Yeah. As they start to look at competitors, you'll see engagement drop because they'll start to they'll be shifting their focus to try and get that competitor hooked up and working, and they'll stop using your product as much. So that'll show in engagement data, and then it'll be a signal for you to try and figure that out. Yeah, I, I like the point as well that you made. Like it'll really show you the what, but not always what the why. And sometimes like life happens, and they might engagement might be dipping for a totally different reasons or outside of control of business, and so. I think that it's really powerful, but at the same time as well, like it's also equally as powerful having that what, and that's sometimes I think where like customer success comes in, having those like relationships, the one-to-one conversations to match that up with something as powerful like a Sherlock with engagement scoring uh, is a super powerful tool to have in the arsenal. Um, yeah, if you ask your CS team, you'd be amazed at how good they are at predicting who's going who's who's to work out and who's going to not. You just ask yeah. them. They know. They know. <laughs> Nice. Last question, because I see we're running up on time. What's one thing that you know today about churn and retention that you wish you knew when you got started in your career? Number one, how important it is, right? Because early on, it's, it just wasn't a focus, right? It was, was acquisition and new customers and top line growth and all that. Yeah. Number one, I would say how, how important it is is something I wish I knew and had a folk, a better focus on it early. But then to our point, how use case, how important use case is to churn to and churn. just really start thinking about that as early as possible with a company or product. Very cool. It's been a pleasure having you today, Derek. I really enjoyed this chat. Is there anything like final thoughts you want to leave the listeners with? Anything they should be aware of that you're working on at Sherlock or how can they keep up to speed with the work that you're doing? Yeah, you can... Sign up for our newsletter on the blog, or you can sign up for Sherlock. You can I'd offer any of your users a free demo. I'll be happy to give them a personal demo if they want nice. to. So if they sign up and mention the podcast, I can do that. One other thing I do want to talk about that I think is an important topic in churn that isn't talked about enough is when you talk about churn, you have to think about it as net net churn as well. Yeah. And the other side of churn is expansion, right? The other side of net churn is expansion. When we think about churn, we only think about the companies that cancel, accounts that cancel. But expansion is a focus, we, is something we do not focus on nearly enough. And I think another thing I've done in the past is take a chunk of that CS team and put it into what I call customer development. You can call it expansion. You can count account management, whatever it might be. But that team is in charge of identifying expansion opportunities within your existing customer base and being much more aggressive and personal about nudging that expansion on. And that is a very easy investment you can make is really just say, I'm going to take one or two people. We're going to have a way to identify opportunities in our customer base for expansion. And they're going to start to really focus on that and work on that. And it used to be getting on planes and seeing people. Uh, but it was a much more personal touch to those expansion opportunities because that is a a really quick way to affect that churn, the net churn number um, and really override that the negative churn. For sure. And I think this comes as a result as well, like it's a natural uh, use case of keeping people along, retaining them longer. 
they get more value out of the product. And over time, if you have got a good pricing model built in, they'll naturally grow with you. And expansion then really helps us getting to that holy grail of SaaS net negative and really having this growth engine that we see at some of the most successful yeah, companies exactly. that have IPO'd. And, but yeah, excellent. I love today. Really great points. I definitely advise listeners, like if you haven't already seen Sherlock, check them out. Uh, as Derek mentioned, hit them up and he'll give you a demo himself. I mentioned the podcast, but it's been a pleasure having you today, Derek. Wish you best of luck now going forward. Thanks, you too. Cheers. And that's a wrap for the show today with me, Andrew Michael. I really hope you enjoyed it and you're able to pull out something valuable for your business. To keep up to date with Churn.fm and be notified about new episodes, blog posts, and more, Subscribe to our mailing list by visiting churn.fm. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our show on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you have any feedback, good or bad, I would love to hear from you. And you can provide your blunt, direct feedback by sending it to andrew at churn.fm. Lastly, but most importantly, if you enjoyed this episode, please share it and leave a review as it really helps get the word out and grow the community. Thanks again for listening. See you again next week.